We give you thanks and praise, O oh Lord, that we can indeed celebrate, that we can give thanks and rejoice because of who you are. As Alan led us in prayer, reminding us that you have been faithful in the past, you are faithful in the present, and you will be in the future. So we give you thanks and praise now and forever. We love you, we honor you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now may I invite you to join me, please, in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his brothers and sisters and friends. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for praising and thank you for praying. And one of the things I've been wrestling with over these past weeks is, does this series make sense? I mean, obviously, I think it's critical. It's absolutely doctrinally central. It's beautiful. It's important. But does it make sense? And I received something this week that helps me understand that perhaps the Holy Spirit is pushing something deeper into us as we think about the circle of love. This did not happen in our church, another church, but I use this story with permission. A young woman, about 21 years old, was wanting to be married, planning to be married. She and her fiance did all the preparations. This was some years ago, obviously. As they moved closer and closer to the wedding day, uh, she learned that her husband-to-be was living a, a double life. And she was brokenhearted and wasn't sure what to do. So she spoke with her parents about it, and her parents strongly and quickly said, you have to terminate this relationship, be done. You're, you're finished with this guy. Well, this young woman's heart was still drawn to this man, so she invited some of the leaders of their church to join with mom and with dad to discern what should she do. So she walks downstairs from her bedroom into the living room, and let me read what she said. With tears streaming down my face, I said to them, do you understand what I'm asking you to do and be with me? Do you understand how desperately I need wise counsel? If you were to share the heart of God with me, what would you say? There was no pause. And one man said, and I'm quoting, no, we don't care. It doesn't matter what you think. The Bible says you respect your parents. You honor those in authority over you. You honor your mother and father, and that's what we expect you to do. And they walked out of the room. And with that, she writes, a light inside me went out. My biggest fear was confirmed in that moment. I didn't matter to God. All that mattered that I was obedient. For the next 30 years, so she is now 51 years old, she's been watching and listening, and then she writes, for all those years, this is how I live my life with God. Love lasts only as long as I am obedient. God does not have any time for wandering or confused and brokenhearted and lost people. He loves only obedient people people who say the right things and do the right things, 
But the moment I mess up, love will vanish. Presence will disappear. In its place, punishment, isolation, and abandonment. When I read those words, I wept. This woman has been in a church all her life. And until the last few weeks, it has never dawned on her. It has never been part of her experience. It has not been part of her theological understanding that she lives in a circle of love. So may I remind you of the verse which I have said I used over and over and over at funerals for 40 years. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Life can't, death can't, angels can't, demons can't. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? So you remember some weeks ago I said what we think about God is one of the most important things about us. But I remember I added two weeks ago, but we, what we think and understand God feels and thinks about us is critical. Why? Because the first sentence is about our theology, and the second se- se- sentence ca- connects, is, connects our relationship with the living God. So this morning what I'd like to do is move farther into our conversation around this wonderful, incredible circle of love, and I use the words mutual and dwelling. Now, can I have the picture, please, of the, of the triune God? I hope you've been taking time to look at Rublev's picture. Let me just remind you real quickly. If you look at it with a really high-definition camera picture, you notice the, the amazing difference of colors, and yet there is a continuity and a connectedness of the colors. So if you look at the picture itself, do you notice there's a circular sense to it? It's intended to be this wonderful circle of love, and look at the deference that each has for the other. They're unique, and yet they're connected. Do you notice each carries a staff which speaks to power and authority, and yet each submits to the other by the bowing of head? Do you notice the fingers? What do the fingers tell you? Why does Jesus have two fingers pointing down? And do you see what's in here? There's a lamb in there. In the context of eternity, in the circle of love, the son points to what he will be and what he will do. Do you see the wood? The cross. The cross, the lamb, the circle of love. Now, I want to talk about this and try to describe it a little more because I'm going to focus it around the words mutual indwelling or I have another phrase that comes alongside of it. It's called, um, (laughs) from my mind, blank, an exchanged life, a mutual indwelling or an exchanged life. Now, slide three, please, Dave. Let me, let me remind you uh, of, of what is really critical here. And I'm going to get come to application. So this is what I've been trying to say week after week after week. What we see in the Trinity, in that circle of love, is what others are to see in us, both individually and together. The life, the love, in that circle of love, that, that unbelievable paracoresis, which I'll explain in just a moment, is something in which we have been invited in. Remember from Ephesians 1, five weeks ago? We have been chosen. We have been adopted. We have been redeemed into a circle of love. 
And that's why I read at every funeral, Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from that circle of love. We call it the perseverance of the saints. So what I'm trying to communicate week after week is the doctrine of the Trinity, which is so beautiful and so rich and so life-giving, is the model of life in which we are to live. Now, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. May I have slide number, um, number five, please, David? Uh, I, let, me just, let me just remind you. I'm going to talk about this big word, perichoresis, in just a minute. I'll explain it to you. But I want you to notice what I talked about. What is the word? I'll explain it in a moment. But, but specifically, I want you to see these things. Do you see reciprocity? Mutual submission. Giving to and receiving from another. Being drawn to and being called to another. Contained another. Drawing life from and pouring life into another. If I had my way, I would underline every and. So I want you to think ahead now. I want you to think way, way ahead. When Jesus returns and creates this new heaven and new earth, what is he creating? The fullness of the eternal fullness of the circle of love. Now follow me. This is how we will relate to each other forever. This is mutual indwelling. This is what life will be in this eternal heaven and earth, starting with our God. We will get to experience and see the reciprocity and the mutual submission somehow in this dance of love that's just mind-boggling. But think about each other. We have a chance to give and receive from one another forever, from every race, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all who are in Christ. We're all going to be in this together. We're going to be drawn to and being contained in each other. We're going to draw life from We're going to pour life into each other. And all that is to say we get to try we get to experiment, we get to attempt, we get to enter into that life now. So let me go back to slide number four, please, David. What I want to talk about this morning for a few minutes with you is the idea of mutual indwelling. The perichoresis of the Trinity leads not only to an exchange life as Jesus abides in us, and we abide in him. There's an exchange life. There's a mutual indwelling. John chapter 15. But it also leads to an exchanged life with others. So the circle of love is an exchanged life with Father, Son, and Spirit. It is an exchanged life with those around us. So what did Jesus say? Jesus was being tested by the Pharisees. Uh, Rabbi, so what's the most important in the law? What did Jesus say? Oh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. What is that? That's an exchange life with God. But what did Jesus say next? And you shall love agapao, your neighbors as yourself. It's an exchange life with others. So what the Lord Jesus Christ brings us into through his life Death, resurrection, and ascension is this amazing circle of love. We are given the opportunity to live it, and then we're given the opportunity to share it. So this mutual indwelling is really important. So I talked about this word perichoesis. Next slide, please, David. So what is it? It's a big word. So, so I, wish, I wish I was a dancer, and I don't dare because I fall off the stage. This word, look at, look, at the, look at the last few, C-H-O-R-E-S-I-S. You know, what root, you know what that root is from? It goes to in the English language? Choreography. 
So this word perichoresis initially was the dance of love. Father, Son, and Spirit dancing together in this circle, this unbelievable place of love. Now, I thought, well, maybe some of us aren't going to relate to the word dance, so I changed it to circle. But the word literally means it's, it's the dance of love. There is so much. Just think about reciprocity. When you dance with someone, let's just think ballroom dancing. When you dance with someone, you have, to, you have to be submissive to each other. You have to move together. There's a back and forth. There's a give and there's a take. All that is part of this word that describes the Father, Son, and Spirit. But fundamentally, it's about reciprocity. It's about mutual submission. It's about giving to and receiving. It's back and forth. It's deep, deep dialogue. It's opening self. It's being vulnerable and authentic and risk-taking and honoring and blessing. It's about being drawn to and being contained in the life of the other. It's drawing life from a poor life into other. Now, let's be honest. This is not easy to do. And this is why I think we have opportunities, starting with our primary relationships, to live this. I've said this to you some years ago. And I'll repeat it again today. When we use the phrase, you shall love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and neighbors yourself, Dallas Willard really impacted me when he said this. Your neighbor starts with whom you live. This is to happen with whom we live. There should be this growing reciprocity. There should be a mutual submission there should be a giving to and a receiving from, a being drawn toward and then, then being contained. There, there's, this, there's this wonderful dance. There's this circle, this dance of this mutual indwelling. Well, I thought, well, I should look at where all this is in the text. So I had an aha this morning. So if, if you just listen to me here now, watch this. So all week long, I, I've been reading John 13 through 17 multiple times each day now for several months. And so as I read it, I've been just thinking through, what does this circle of love look like in these, these five chapters? And this week, for this week, I went and found, listen now, 18 verses or sections of verses where you see this. But I thought to myself, if I go through all those, I'm just going to lose you because there's just so much. So can I just focus on a few verses with you this morning? Would you open your Bibles to John chapter 17 and verses 20 through 26? I want you to, we'll come back to the slide in a little bit, but be mindful of this. Reciprocity, mutual submission, giving to, receiving from, being drawn to, being contained in, drawing life from. I want you to look for this in these six verses. John chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. Would you hear these words of Jesus? This is at the end of the chapter of the section dealing with what's going to happen in the future. Following this, when these words end, 12 to 18 hours later, Jesus is killed. So this is what he prays. John chapter 17 is Jesus' longest prayer. And look at what he prays for us in John 17, 20 through 26. Please hear these words from Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the 12 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now I'm going to note purpose clauses. Why? I pray for them. Why? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So what's Jesus praying for? He is praying for this. Now I want you to think this through a little bit. Being a Christian is not just, I got my ticket. When I die, I go up to the clouds 
and I sing kumbaya, and I float around up there somewhere. What is Jesus saying? He wants them to be with him, with them, and he is saying there needs to be this incredible opportunity to live this life. So he says in verse 20, 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Is this, is this registering? So let's pretend this is us. He's saying, may all of us today, 2,000 years later, all of us be in him and be in him. One and three, three and one. Oh, and now there's four because we are invited into the circle of love. So he says in verse 21 that, that we can be this incredibly connected with our God. Then look at the next phrase. May they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, would you just let those words sink in? Why do we live in the circle of love? So that, purpose clause, the world, cosmos, those outside the circle of love presently can see, they can see who God is because of our participation in this circle of love. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Would you think about that for just a minute? I have given them, who's, who's, he's talking about us. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Now let, let's get a picture of glory. Can you think of a time in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, the synoptics? Can you think of a time when Jesus was completely transfigured, hear the word, in glory? On the Mount of Transfiguration. And what does he say here? He says, I have given them the glory that you have given me. Somehow there is a transference from this indwelling, mutual indwelling, remember? Giving to, receiving from, being drawn to, being contained in. Somehow, I don't understand it, somehow there is this exchange that the glory, the Shekinah of Jesus is being given to us so that, why? They may be one as we are one. So think about it again, the new heaven and new earth. When you are like this with all who are in this new heaven, new earth. Can you imagine the sense of glory? The sense of presence? The sense of beauty? The sense of welcome? The sense of love? That's what's coming. So Jesus is saying, can they, Father, be one in me, that we are all together one? Why? So that my glory can be in them. And why next? Verse 21. I in them and you in me, look at the next phrase, purpose clause again, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Let me talk about unity for a second. For a long time, I thought to be in complete unity, John 17, I had to agree theologically with everyone. And if we're going to have complete unity, there has to be no disagreement or there can be no differences in understanding. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. I challenge you to read this very carefully. The unity he's talking about is this welcome into this. This, this, this is the unity we're being drawn into. And you notice this isn't necessarily, doesn't exclude, but it's not necessarily about having all the right things in our heads. 
That's important, absolutely. Remember, it's only part of it. What we think about God, our theology is critical, but what we think God thinks about us is equally important. And they come together. So what he says here now is what? That they can be brought to unity. Then, now look at the next phrase. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let that next that sentence just register. What? It is in the circle of love when we are connected with Father, Son, and Spirit where the glory that was given to Jesus is somehow given and shared at least initially small with us so that the world knows who we are and then what does he say? The world will know that you sent me. How will the world know that Jesus was sent? Right here. Remember the phrases, words I used in weeks past? We've talked about glad surrender. We've talked about a complex simplicity. I'm trying to put words together that make, make us think about the, the wonder, the size, the magnitude. And the second to last week in this series, I'm trying to have us understand there is an exchange life. And this is so important. I'm, I'm changed from mutual submission to exchange life now. Exchange life. Let me back you up. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are redeemed. And the text says, before the creation of the world. So we are invited into something that is beyond our comprehension through the absolute mutual submission and exchange life of Father, Son, and Spirit. And what the text of John 17, 22-26 is saying to us is that's the life we are to live. I want you to ask a question. Let me use, use me. So those of you who know me well, those who work with me, those with whom I've interacted now for these 27 years, I, I'm going to ask you to examine me. Do you see reciprocity? As I relate to you, do you sense reciprocity? Do you sense a mutual submission, I to you and you to me? And some level, can't go to the deepest levels, but do you sense I give to you and I receive from you? Do you sense I'm being drawn to you and somehow we're being contained in a life together? Does it make sense that I draw life from you and somehow I'm trying to pour my life into yours? Do you see that in me? Now let me ask you, do others see that in you? One more. Do others see this in us? Let's go on with the text and I got one important question. So verse 24, Father, I want those you've given to me to be with me where I am, which is where? The circle of love. And to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. You love me before the creation of the world. What did Ephesians say? We've been chosen and adopted before the creation of the world. Isn't that crazy? Somehow in the mystery and the beauty of the circle of love, we are included before we were born, before the creation was created. Verse 25, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. Now look at verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them, look at the purpose clause now, in order, at, in order that the love you have for me 
may be in them, and I myself may be in them. Look at that last phrase. What's the purpose? That the love the Father has for the Son may be in them. And then Jesus says that I myself may be in us. Can you believe this story? I'm not making it up. Can you believe that fundamentally the kingdom of God is not about a 21-year-old girl who's being told, you obey your parents! And it's important that we obey our parents, absolutely. We obey our parents because we are loved and we love. We obey our parents because we respect and be respectable, but sometimes it doesn't work that way. So listen to this next sentence. Listen to this next sentence. I observe, this is my opinion, umbrella of mercy. There are only two things that are strong enough to keep us choosing to live in the circle of love. What are they? Great suffering and great love. When great suffering comes, there's a longing to be welcomed into a circle of love. And when you have experienced the goodness of a circle of love, you want to share it. Let me give you an example. This this breaks down, but just watch me. One man by himself can't love very far. But he finds a woman, and together they love. But they want to express their love. And what happens? One, two, three. One and three. Three and one. A circle of love. Why is it important? Slide number six. A whole number of people who observe culture have said this in different ways, and I'm summarizing it. How might living from the circle of love impact what is called the greatest disease of our culture? And what is the greatest dis-ease of our culture? Those who study people today say, listen, I'm going to quote, the greatest disease of our age is a profound and painful sense of disconnection. If that existed before COVID, what is happening now amongst us amidst COVID? If the greatest sense of dis-ease we are experiencing culturally is a lack of connection, you understand how central the circle of love is. So how do we do it? Slide seven, please. So here are a couple attitudes that I would just suggest. Invitational attitudes for mutual dwelling or living this exchanged life. And they were these. It is choose, as per last week, is to choose humility. The text of Scripture goes like this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If I said to you the circle of love has two motivators, one is great suffering. Often in our pride, we are moved or we choose or we enter places and times of deep suffering. Isn't it true when we're in those deep places of suffering that humility has opportunities to grow? But my request is that it doesn't take suffering for humility to grow. It doesn't mean taking a breaking, breaking of our prides, but it's a choice we make. Remember John chapter 13? Jesus took off his outer garments, got down on his hands and knees, took a basin of water and a towel, and began to wash dirty feet. But that requires vulnerability. 
that just being able to say, this is who I am. I had a phone call this week from uh, someone who was watching our services in, uh, from Minnesota, and he happened to put on the service on one particular Sunday when I talked about my Enneagram number and my brokenness, when I'm broken in my number. So my number in the Enneagram is three. And I said something like this, uh, a broken three is a deceiver, a liar, and fearful. And he said to me, <laughs> laughing, I decided I'd listen to the rest of the tape because you are one messed up dude. Now, I'm not messed up dude. I'm just vulnerable. I know who I am. I'm just, I use words like this. I'm an adopted, chosen child of God. But I'm a broken man. I'm a man who learns and knows ever less, even as I study more and more. And that moves me to surrender. To live in this mutual indwell, uh, indwelling, to have an exchanged life. We just say, Lord, I surrender to you. I surrender. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I surrender. I think I told you years ago, my father, who's much older than I, just can't get out of his hands. No matter how great the hymns are to raise his hands, he just, he just says, I can't do it. And so he influenced me a great deal. Obviously, my father I loved deeply, and he was my mentor for 12 and a half years. He's still my mentor at 89 years. But he would worship like this because he just can't raise his hands. But I have found myself over the years increasingly raising my hands. Why? Because for me, first it's an act of surrender. It's a movement into vulnerability. It's the decision for some to be publicly humiliated. And I don't care. On the day that Kirk died, or the funeral service, I remember sitting in the front row with our family and we were singing, I can't remember which, even which song it was. But in the midst of great tears, I just looked, looked around and all my kids and Lane and me. We surrender. We're vulnerable. We're humble. And that creates great opportunity for an exchanged life. So we've been trying to push into this a bit. I wonder if you have any responses for us, any questions. I have two questions for you. I think Chrissy has sent those out to you. I wonder if you would be willing to respond. Slide number nine. How might a mutual indwelling with the three, Father, Son, and Spirit, influence your mutual indwelling with just one person? How does being invited into the circle of love where you are invited into this exchange life, impact how you might live with one other person. And the second one, how might listening to and praying aloud with another invite inclusion in the circle of, of love? You know, I, I think this is true. I, I used this story years ago. Bess Kuyper, one of our old senior saints many years ago, said to me that prayer is more intimate than sex. And I said, Bess, you've got to explain that to me. And Bess said, it is easier to share your body than to share your heart. When we pray out loud for each other, there's a sharing of hearts. There's a vulnerability. There's an openness. So two questions, and I wonder if you'd be willing to consider one or other and respond to Chrissy. How might living in the circle of love with the three, Father, Son, and Spirit, affect your relationship with one other person? Or how might listening to and praying aloud with another, listening to, 
Chris, you have any comments yet or do not yet? Choices and saying so many things about COVID. Um, we all have opinions. May I respectfully ask that we spend more time listening to each other? What I'm observing is behind all the loud talk are fears or anger or some kind of emotion which is not being rightly stewarded, understood, or lived out of. If we would learn to listen to each other well, and if we could learn out of that listening to pray for each other, there might be this mutual indwelling. There might be this beautiful exchange to life. So I wonder, could, if you were willing, could you send Chrissy a question or a response? Chrissy, anything yet? Not yet, okay. All right, chickens. <laughs> Chrissy's laughing. Anybody have anything? If not, we're gonna move to one more piece. Okay, we'll just see what happens. Let me go back to where we started. Can I have uh, slide number, uh, number four, please, David? So this is what we're trying to talk about these last 30 minutes or so. The perichoresis of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, leads us not just to an exchange life with Jesus. There's going to be this deep abiding. It's going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. But it also leads to an exchange life with others. Now, watch this. If we don't first abide and connect and be deeply rooted in relationship with our triune God, it's pretty difficult to do that with others. So it seems to me that this has to obviously precede this. Chrissy, anything yet? Okay, very good. Um, so I've got um, someone commenting in that those moments of surrender for me have brought such comfort and freedom. Um, I have another person's response that says, if I can truly experience grace from the circle, then I have an increased capacity to give grace. Mm -hmm. Can we just go there? So, so, so my first story, this email this, from this, this woman, I use the name Rachel. Ra Rachel's email was that she was not invited into this place of love and welcome and acceptance. Let me just remind you, John chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Notice the order. Grace and truth. What I observe with many of us, church folk, is truth precedes grace. And how does a young woman at age 21 who is in this very difficult, vulnerable place respond when what she received is truth? And she needed truth, absolutely. But what if grace, context of grace, circle of love was first? Chrissy, something else? Um, yep, we've got a couple more. Um, this person said, having a mutual indwelling with the three will create a deeper connection to the three, which then will help me connect to the other spirits and have a deeper connection with them to others' spirits. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So, anything else? Um, yep. Uh, allowing another to know for what I need prayer can make me feel so exposed, but the prayer fills me with a connection to God's heart through the heart of that prayer warrior. Mm-hmm. There's, some, there's something very vulnerable and exposing when we ask others to really pray for us. Um, but I think that's how mutual indwelling happens. It is to hear the heart of the other, it is to hear well, and then in that context to pray, simple prayers, simple prayers of love. Uh, Henri Nouwen says, 
prayer, tears are liquid prayer. Sometimes the most beautiful prayer are tears. Chrissy, one more? Praying together is a true act of vulnerability, which is what the other person had mentioned too. My fear of man comes out strongly at times in that space, but in times that I let others in, it's a picture of the circle of love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got a couple others. Well, they're coming in now. All right, knowing who I am, chosen, adopted, redeemed, helps me to be vulnerable and humble enough to accept the constant invitation to the circle of love. Can I stop for one second, Chrissy? Mm -hmm. So make, hear that, thank you, whoever wrote that. Cho you you gotta you got fight for this. You have to fight for this. I have been chosen by the Trinity. I have been adopted by the Trinity. I am redeemed by Jesus. His life death brings us into the circle of, that's the place we start. So remember our core values? Intimacy, identity, belonging, and purpose. The, tr the circle of love is so huge. One more comment real quick. Early, er, first, first, uh, in the end of the second century, those who began to put together the Nicene Creed used this phrase. This is, this is 18 centuries ago. Those who do not have a robust understanding of the Trinity will be driven by fear and anxiety. Living in the circle of love brings such comfort. One more, Chrissy, two more? Yeah, I've got a few more. So um, these two are talking about the prayer piece, and it says, when God speaks truth or comfort to me through another, it increases my faith and confidence in his love. And another one said, for me, when I'm listening intently to others, it develops trust in our relationship, and I'm still working towards developing praying with others. And I've got another one that says, mutual indwelling involves mutual invitation and mutual vulnerability. Fantastic. Thank you. We're almost done. Worship leaders, come on the platform, please. Can we have slide number five, please, David, just one more time. So the, the, the question is, what, thank you, Chrissy. What does this, how do we apply this? May push. This should be present in our homes. This is what it should be in our homes. May I, may I continue? This should be brought to our workplaces and our schools. Why? Jesus said in John chapter 17, so the world will know that he was sent. For God so loved the world that he gave his son so that we could enter the circle of love. Would you pray with, pray with me, please? We give you thanks and praise, almighty God for your life and your love. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you invite us into the circle of love which will last in ways we can't imagine now and forever. We pray that you would lead and guide us to make decisions of vulnerability and humility that we might look like and be like those who live and abide in you. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you for your goodness we thank you for your beauty. We thank you for your invitations. We thank you for life now and forever. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.